Hosea chapter 13 today we're going to start with. And we've been on the first part of this chapter for two weeks, so hopefully I can get wrapped up today. We're going to be looking at 9 through 16 today. So on the front of your handout, I just I wanted to remind us of some things. So uh, just I'm going to read that, follow along with me, and then we'll fill in the blanks. And so when reading through the book of Hosea, it seems to be choppy and hard to follow. Now a lot of the books in the Old Testament... A lot of prophets are like that. How many of you feel that way? That it's very hard to read through some of these books? Okay. And so they seem to be choppy and hard to follow the storyline. And that is true. So we need to remember that Hosea is a... What is Hosea? Minor prophet. Well, he's a... Kind of. What do you say, Bobby? Um, You got your... Take the minor off. What is he? Prophet. He's a prophet. Okay. okay. So he is a prophet. And what does a prophet do, class? Foretells the future sometimes and talks about... He gives God's message to the people. There you go. I like that one. He gives God's message to the people. And sometimes that can be... Well, let's, it's, it's just follow our line. His pur- We're getting ahead of ourselves. His purpose is to reveal God's word to his people that are for the present as well as the near future and even thousands of years into the future. And so the time frame changes between chapters and verses and many times between punctuation. So when we're going through the book of Hosea, a lot of times the context will change quickly. Okay? And so that's why it's kind of hard to follow because you're, you're, you're following along and he's talking physical at the time and then all of a sudden you'll, you'll get to a comma, you'll get to a colon or semicolon and all of a sudden the subject's just switched and now you're talking about the end times. And so you have to re- realize that, okay? And so his message is to the northern tribes of Israel. Again, nothing that I ha- haven't repeated probably every week which are referred to as Israel, Ephraim, and Samaria. So a lot of times, if you're not paying attention, you're like, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about the northern kingdom. Well, he calls them these three names. They're called Israel, they're called Ephraim, because the biggest tribe in in the northern kingdom was Ephraim, and most of the evil stuff was done in Ephraim. It was kind of like the capital uh, uh, state, if you would say, and even one of the two golden calves was in Bethel, which is in Ephraim, and then he calls them Samaria. Now, in the New Testament, that area is basically called Samaria, so wrap all those together in our mind. We're talking about the northern kingdom, and it says the nation is referred to as a wife. Remember when we started off, it was, home, it was Hosea and Gomer, his wife, and he uses that illustration how it was a bad situation. It was a wife that was stepping out on him to explain to Hosea, this is what the nation of Israel is doing to me. So I hope God doesn't use me as an illustration to show other people around me what's going on, but maybe he does. You know, God allows us to go through situations, hardships, sicknesses, diseases, things in our life so that we could be an example to other people that go through the same thing. 
Okay? And so what's our job? Our job is to be a witness for Jesus Christ, right? Is that just the good times? No, it's even in the bad times. Because it's in the bad times where people will watch and see what you do. And they'll see your faith. And they'll go, you know what? I want what that person has. You know, I had a friend of mine, his wife got saved. And this happens a lot. The wife gets saved before the husband. And the husband finally will, will come to the pastor or, or come to his senses and go, I want what, what my wife has. Because he sees the change in her life. Okay? I don't know. We're praying for David, and we hope he sees Christ in you. Okay, that that is your your prayers, and that's our prayers too. Because we Christ wants everyone to get saved, and for most of us, it was most of us did not just pick up the Bible and start reading it and get saved. We were influenced by other people that were already saved. Okay, so our life is like that. So uh, the nation here, back to our handout, is referred to as a wife and as a son. So again, that can throw you a loop when you're reading through the book of Hosea. And as a son. So he calls them, Israel is God's son. But he also called them his wife. I know, so again... That's why sometimes it's hard to nail it down, okay? And so, Hosea's message is a message on God's wrath, God's judgment, and God's... What do you think goes in your blank? Love, maybe. Well, what's the theme of Hosea? I'm try- Now, I put all these out to see how well you guys have been following me, so I'm going to have to go back and beat on the instructor a little bit. The, the, the theme of Hosea, God is going to do what with Israel? Restore them. Restore them. So it's on God's restoration. But before they are restored, we're seeing everything right now as God's judgment and God's uh, wrath on them. He is not happy with the nation right now. Probably like the United States. He's not happy with what's going on in the United States. And I have a feeling if the Christians wouldn't hear, the United States would have been zapped a long time ago. But when the church gets pulled out, Look out. And who knows? Maybe our nation will go through some major problems before that. I don't know. Well, we're not mentioned in uh, Revelation, are we? No, we're not. So it kind of worries me. What's going to happen to us in the United States? I don't know. But this I do know. He's going to take care of us no matter what. And so it makes me wonder, were there some people in Hosea in the northern kingdom that was doing what was right? And they just went down with the boat. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay, and so when reading through the book, we need to slow down. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us its truth. We should use a dictionary, a concordance, and I put down Strong's concordance, but I I actually have two that I use. I use a Strong's and I use a, a Young's concordance. Any commentaries that we can find, the center references in your Bible are very important, and for our study helps, we need to study the... And how do we study the Bible? We study the Bible by comparing Scripture with Scripture. And that's why the center references is so good. Because it'll take you over to another place. And you're like, you're reading through something, you see a, a, a letter, right? A letter in the center reference that shows you a different reference. And maybe you read that and it'll help you put the connection together. So I do that a lot. So do not, do not just... Uh, forgo these center references in your Bible because they are important. They're a good help me. So we need to know all that, use all that, and sit down when we're going through a book like Hosea because if you just try to read it and use your own intellect, 
it's going to be tough. Okay? So, Hosea is sometimes hard to understand, but God has placed some golden nuggets in the middle of this book, which we've already seen, that you cannot find anywhere else, or that's hard to find. If you want to study the tribulation and the end times, you go to what book do we normally think of? Revelation. Revelation is the first one. We think Daniel, but also think minor prophets, because those talk a lot of the tribulation in the end times. And to get some of those things, we've got to put it all together to get the whole picture. Okay. Go to Matthew 24, is it? Matthew, yes. So again, compare Scripture with Scripture, because then let me give you some biblical... Let me give you some wisdom today. And I hope you never forget this. God wastes no space in this book. I heard a pastor tell me that probably 30 years ago. And it clicked in my brain. And I'm like, yes. Every word, every jot and tittle in this book, God has for a reason. And when we think, well, I don't want to read that book because it's boring or I don't understand it. It's like telling God, I don't want to read everything you put in the book. And God's like, okay. You just won't get what I have in there for you. So we need to remember that. And he goes into such great detail. Like, right now I'm in Numbers in the Old Testament, and I think, oh. I mean, he goes into such great detail. I think, why do I have to know that? Right. But we just have to remember, God put it in there for a reason. And there is a reason why. And we may not understand it, but we need to read it and God and ask God to reveal it to us. Is Matthew Henry a good commentary? To a degree, Yes. All commenta- I don't care. Let me let me throw this out, and I, they can fire me if they want over this. I don't care what you use to help you understand the Bible. I don't care what it is, but you have to run what that is through the Word of God. Mm-hmm. So if we're if you're wanting to talk talk about Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom, or a battle or a certain place, use a map. Well, is that map? Inspired? No. Use whatever maps you can get. Use the encyclopedia if it helps you, but everything has to be ran through the Word of God. So use anything. That's why you can go... You you can hear... I don't want to sound wrong with this, but I mean, you can go to... You can go to a church that's not on target and the pastor can do a terrible message, but if you're sitting there and you're wanting to learn the Holy Spirit, Spirit can reveal something to you in an awful message. And again, I don't know if I want to put that out to everybody, but I'm on tape. But I mean, you can go, if you have the right attitude and you ask God to show you the truth, He will do that through a good message or through a bad message. Now, let me tell you, I'm not, I'm not advocating that we all run out and listen to some guy on TV and try to get stuff out of him. But my point is, use whatever we can. So let me tell you this. Can Joel Olstein teach us something? No. Yes? yes. <laughs> there you go. Maybe not what to do. So it, it depends on our attitude. Now again, I'm not going to go to him for doctrine. I may go to him for, maybe he tells good jokes. You know, I can get a joke from him. Maybe, but a lot of times it's like, he's doing this, so I'm going to go this way. So, again, use whatever we can. I'm getting a little off subject. Whatever 
If you've got a history book that just talks about history, run it through the Word of God and use it if it helps you to get to the point. Okay? So let's get going because I'll be out of time here. Every word of God is important. Every word of God is pure. So Hosea chapter 13. I'm going to read. I'm going to start back in verse 1 and we're going to run down it just to get the context of where we are. It says, when Ephraim spake. And who's Ephraim? Israel. Israel. Who's Israel? The northern kingdoms. Okay. In this instance. When Ephraim spake trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. When he was humble... He exalted himself, but when he offended in Baal, he died. Okay, that's pretty simple, right? Is that hard for anybody to understand? When he, when he humbled himself before God, he, he exalted himself. God exalted him, but when he started worshiping Baal, down the tubes, okay? And now they, talking about Israel here, they sin more and more and have made them molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding. All Did you get that? According to their own understanding, not according to God's. All of it, the work of the craftsmen. And they say of them, let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves. And then we talked about that. It's a business. And it starts getting sickening when they start kissing their idols. You know? I don't know about you, but have you ever seen anybody with a cross on and they kiss their cross every so often? I'm like, uh, yeah. Verse 3. Therefore, they shall be... So God's like, God wants them to come back to Him, okay? So He's going to use some examples, hoping they grab this. Therefore, they shall be as the morning cloud and as the early dew that passeth away, as the chaff that is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor, and as the smoke out of the chimney. He's kind of saying, guys, you're depending on yourself, and you're going to fade away quick. Mm -hmm. Yet, I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. A direct reference to Jesus Christ (laughs) in the book of Hosea. Okay. Now, do you think the people in Hosea that Hosea was speaking this to grabbed this? They didn't grab the Jesus part. They grabbed it. They're talking about the Jehovah. He is the Savior. But yet we know him as not just the Jehovah, the Old Testament. We know him as the Savior, Jesus. So you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all here. Verse 5. I did know thee in the wilderness. So what wilderness do you think that is? When they wandered 40 years in the wilderness. Okay, and then what's after wilderness? What's the next little thing you see there? Well, I know, before that. What's the punctuation mark? A comma. So now we have a comma. In the land of... And then it says, in the land of great drought, period... Okay, so we know in the wilderness it was it was a great drought. I got ahead of myself. Sorry, guys. Verse 6, according to their pastor, now a new verse, the pastor here is, now they're in the land of Israel. So they were filled. Were they filled in the wilderness? No. They were only filled when they got into the land. Verse 6, they were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore have they forgotten me. Once they got into the land, everything was going good. Their crops went well. Everything's going great. God blessed them. They got too big for their britches and then they start worshiping false gods. Okay? 
Therefore, verse 7, I will be unto them as a lion. Now again, he goes back to examples. I will be unto them as a lion and as a leopard. By the, by the way will I observe them. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps. And I will rend the call of their heart. And, they will, and there will I devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. So he's given them some examples. Do you think this physically happened to them? No. These these animals are representative representative of the nations that's going to come and basically destroy them, and God uses these nations to to uh, to uh, punish them. Okay, and then verse nine it says, "O Israel, that's where I want to start today. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help." So again, in Hosea, it goes from bad, you're getting destroyed. You got to come to me, and I'll help you. Okay, so you'd think they'd get this after a while. You do things on your own, you're going down the tubes. You do things with me, and things will be restored and back to normal. And it's like, how long can people keep doing the same stupid things? Well, we're still doing them today. So, man, when God says He is long suffering, He is long suffering because we have the same things going on today. And and the bad part is. I see that in my life too. I do what's right. Things are good. I mess up and things are not so good. I got to go back to the Lord. I got to do a 1 John 1 9. It says, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. I will be thy king. Where is there any other that may save thee in all thy cities and thy judges of whom thou saidest, Give me a king and princess? I gave thee a king in mine anger and I took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim. And who's Ephraim again? Again, Israel. Israel. Is bound up. His sin is hid. The sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. He is an unwise son. For he should not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. And though he be fruitful among his brethren, an east wind shall come, the wind of the Lord shall come up from the wilderness, and his spring shall become dry, and his fountain shall be dried up, and he shall spoil the treasure of all pleasant vessels. Samaria shall be desolate, for she hath rebelled against her God. Israel. Yep. They shall fall by the sword, and their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child shall be ripped up. And so again, we're all over the place in the end of this chapter. So let's go back and dig it out a little bit. So Israel's, number one, uh, on your handout, Israel's sins have destroyed them. So that's what I want to put out here. And it starts off with their kings. Their kings have been a bad example for them. Remember I said the northern kingdom, they didn't have one good king. And I have here, it started off with Jeroboam. Their last king was Hoshea before Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, comes in. And within 30 years of Hosea writing this, Hoshea, the last king, and the people are carried away back into Assyria. I mean, this is like right now. There's 19 kings between Jeroboam and Hoshea, and every one of them was evil. Now, a few of them obeyed God to just a small degree. One of them was Jehu, and then he turned right around and did what was wrong. 
And so he says their, their kings have been a bad example. So Jeroboam to Hosea, all 19 kings. And if you want to see the list, you can come up here and look at it. And it says their evaluation, bad, bad, bad. It just goes down the list. Come up and take a look at that, okay? And then the next king is, I'm, I'm going to use for comparison, is Solomon. Is Solomon a good king or a bad king? Yeah, I mean, the wisest man in the world, right? He did what was right. He even penned uh, the Bible verse that says, this is the sum of all matters. Fear God and keep His commandments. He did what was wrong. But I think at the end, he, he kind of came back to his senses and came back to the Lord. It's kind of iffy in there, but I believe he did. But he, did, he was a bad example because he let all those wives and concubines that he had married turn his heart to start serving other gods. And when you look at those two gods that he started setting things up for... They were sacrificing children. How do you do that? You cannot do that. So even though he started out good, he went bad, but I think he turned up good. Uh, Go back and look at that. And then David. Was David a good king or a bad king? He made mistakes. He made mistakes too. I know. I know. So he, he, he had some major mistakes, or let's call them what they are, sins in his life. Now, throw me out a sin that, that he did. He, okay, he murdered. Who did he murder? Bathsheba's husband. Bathsheba's, okay. So so he murdered, oh, what was his name? Uzziah? Uriah? Okay. So for lack of time, I'm not going to write things on there. So he, he murdered him. And why did he murder him? To cover up his sin with Bathsheba because he committed adultery with her. So what would you think? I mean, are you going to say that a guy is a good guy? Let's put it this way. I got to pick on some uh, some pastor other than in our church, but some pastor commits adultery and has her wife killed. What would you think of him? He needs to go to jail, and we need and actually he needs more than that. We need to put him on the chopping block and get rid of him. That was David. Okay, what else did he do? He numbered the people. Remember that was a huge sin that he did. He numbered the people. For, for war, basically, and that was a major sin. You'd go back and study that out. And God sent a plague among the people. And I, I forget how many people died in that plague. It was something like 6,000. It was a big group of people died just because he sinned. Okay? You can go back and look at that. And also, if you go back and look at his life, he didn't dis- discipline his kids. Yeah. And that, and that led to Absalom being the way he was. And Absalom revolted against him, and Absalom ended up dying or being killed. And so if he would have disciplined his family, it wouldn't have got to that point. And so uh, I'm not saying these guys, and the bad part is, we're not probably any better than these guys. So my point is, every king they ever had was bad, but they wasn't like David. What was one thing that David did? That the, he repented. He would always go back and say, God, you're right. I did this. Please forgive me my sins. Do not take my... Uh, uh, what do I want to say? Do not blot my name out of your book. Okay? He didn't want to lose the salvation that God had given him. And so he, he pleaded for that. But at least he understood and he fessed up. These other guys, they took it to the grave. And so you got 
so that's a point we need to watch. You know, we need to, number one, we have eternal security. That's, that's fabulous. We're, you know, we can't lose our salvation, which is great because I always wondered what if we couldn't? What, would I have been one of those? There'd be like one out of billions, like a David, that would have the right heart. That's what we want to be like. We want to be like David in that sense that our heart is soft and at least admits when we do sin against God and, and go and make that right. That's why that verse, 1 John 1, 9, is so important. Yeah. And we can do that because he's our Heavenly Father. So these kings were all a bad example except for David. Okay, And so he tells them, he goes, he goes, I gave, verse 11, I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. Which one do you think he's talking about there? Uh, not David. Saul. Not Saul. Right. Did, did I talk about him yet? Oh, oh, yes. Saul's the last one on the list, and I jumped the gun. I didn't get to him yet. So he's talking about, I believe, in that passage, Saul. Well, in verse 11 says, I gave thee a king in mine anger. Right. So again, in the middle of Hosea, it doesn't mention who that is. You have to know a little Bible to figure that out. So he gave them Saul, and what did Saul do? If you ever studied Saul's life, Saul would be a good person to go study. And here's what I want you to do at some point. If you're reading through the Old Testament, and you're reading about Saul becoming the first king, you're reading everything about him, and it's good until he becomes king. And everything he does after he becomes king goes down the toilet. Everything, yes. Isn't that normal for today? Yeah. I mean, we see that in governments. I mean, they get, they get in there and they forget why they're there and they do everything for them. Saul was the same way. Saul had an eye problem. It was all about him. His pride. It was all about him. I mean, he hated David because it took took he was getting famous for, from what he was doing. It was taking the the glory away from him. And he was also taking over his own son, Jonathan. Yeah, and he hated his son because his son liked David. He he hated them because he even told his son, um, and what? Tell me, his, uh, um, what's his son's name again? Jonathan. Jonathan, okay. He told his Jonathan, he goes, Don't you realize you're helping the next king? And Jonathan goes, I want to do what's right. Saul wanted to kill him. So Saul is this guy in, in verse 11. So Saul disobeyed God, and the final straw was when he took over the role of being a priest. And when Saul did that, that was it. He was done. Uh, God told uh, the prophet, he says, he's done. He's done. Samuel, he told Samuel, Saul's done. He goes, don't keep crying over Saul because he's, 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 he's done. I'm going to have to bring a new king in. And so those kings were, were all a bad example. Point number two says that Jehovah of the Old Testament, the Savior, the Holy Spirit that we talked about last, last week, he shall be thy God. Okay, and in verse 9 it says, and let's read it, it says, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me, there's that but, and there's a semicolon right in front of it. Again, we, it's total destruction with you guys, but in me is thine help. Is that what it says? Yes. So he is our only help. We have no other name. They have no other name to call upon but the Lord. We have no other name to call upon 
but the Lord. Okay. So, um, number three, it says, and let me just give you a little clue here. From verse 13 and 14, it's all tribulation. It's all end times. And again, that's why this thing is going from the present to tribulation. And again, I don't think, I don't believe the people with Hosea understood all the tribulation and end time prophecy. It, it was probably hitting home to them. But I think at this point they had probably already rejected his words and wasn't listening to him anyway because they do continue to go down the tubes. Number three says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. So let me back up before I get there. Verse 13 says, The sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. Who's the him? We're talking about Ephraim. But we're also talking about Israel. And so anytime you see the word travailing is a reference to, number one, a woman having pains through childbirth. It's a reference to the tribulation. So what's happening during the tribulation is God is going to take the nation of Israel and they are going to be reborn. They're going to be reborn into a nation again. And he compares it to like a a woman giving childbirth. And we see that, okay? And it's painful, right? And so you're like, well, um, Bob, I just don't believe everything you say. So turn over to Genesis, verse 38 and verse 27. And I know you guys are all from Missouri, so I have to show you. Genesis 38, 27 says, and it came to pass in the time of her, am I way ahead of you guys? What's it say next? Travail. Genesis 28, 27 says, and it came to pass in the time of her travail that behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that one put his put out his hand and the midwife took the and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand that, behold, his brother came out and she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name shall be called Perez. And afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zerah. So there's twins being born here. And it's kind of a picture of, of uh, Esau and Jacob being, being born. And what did, what did they tell her? That there were two nations in her womb. Okay, So we're seeing travail as a woman giving birth here. Okay, so Let's let's move on and see what else we can turn over to Jeremiah chapter 13. Chapter 13 and verse Wait, everybody there? It says, What will thou say when he shall punish thee? For thou hast taught them to be captains and his chief over thee. Shall not sorrows take thee as a woman in travail? Okay? So, we're likening something going on in the nation as being painful as a woman giving childbirth. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm not a woman. And, and today... I feel like a man. And you know why? 
I'm a man. So, <laughs> I don't know about you men, and I don't know about you women, but, but there's only, you know, I'll get off that. But anyway, I don't know what it's going to feel like to bear a child because I'm a man. But you all know how that is. And it's not a day in the, in the park, is it? No. Okay. It's not a day in the park, you know? But you know, they say once you see the baby, you never remember what your pain was. Is that true? No. <laughs> they just got you through, right? You still remember the pain, huh? You know, for a moment, I've seen, for a I've moment, seen people. See then it makes it worthwhile. Does it make it worthwhile? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to say. There's times when you look back and I'm like, why did I go through all this for you? And you're like this. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. <laughs> okay. But, but, okay, so, but it's likening that pain to the nation or that pain even to men, okay? And so, uh, and Jeremiah is talking about the southern kingdom and they're going through the same thing about 150 years behind the northern kingdom, okay? So then turn over to Micah and just go back to Hosea, go a few uh, books to the right. See if I got my verse. Okay. And if you have a Bible like mine, I'll help you out. It's on page eleven thirty. Okay. <laughs> Micah chapter four and verses nine and ten. Oh, okay. Okay. Micah chapter four, nine and ten. Says, now why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs, pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon, and there shalt thou be delivered. There from. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. He's basically talking to the southern kingdom, but it's the exact same thing, okay? Because they went into captivity just like the northern kingdom, okay? So when it talks about, whenever you're reading in the Bible and it talks about a woman in travail, what's it talking about? Childbirth, but a nation being born, but what else? Okay, I haven't got you where I need you to go yet, so turn over to Revelation 12. Revelation 12, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And we're talking about that woman there is the nation of Israel. Okay. Verse 2 says, And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Okay. We're talking about the reference, the context here is the great tribulation. And so every time we see a woman in travail before that in the Bible, it is an example of what's going to happen right here 
with, with the nation of Israel. And it's going to be painful. It's going to be like she's going to be born again. Okay? And so every time we see the word travailing, what are you thinking of? Pain. Tribulation. It is a tribulation passage. So even in the book of Hosea, when he's talking about travail as a woman in travail, the passage, the context just changed from Hosea right then to Revelation. Okay? So when you get some of these things in your head and you realize that wherever you are in the Bible, when it starts talking about travailing, you know there is a reference to the end times in this passage. God's trying to teach me something. Okay? So I spent a lot of time on that, so I got just a little bit of time to go. Back in the book of Hosea, now since we got the, the context established, let's look at our next point here. He says, verse 14, I will ransom them. Who's the them in that passage? Israel. That's the daily double. No, it means I'm about out of time. <laughs> uh, so he's going to ransom... Let me get back to where I'm at. Um, Israel. Israel. Verse 14. I will ransom them, Israel, from the power of the grave. So all of a sudden he starts going into the grave. He starts going into ransom. He starts going into redeeming them. He starts going into death. He starts going into grave. I'm going to give you a little homework, and I'm going to stop right here, okay? So here's my homework, and we'll pick this up next week. Okay, get my eyes working here. Verse 14 says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. So let me just give you a little homework. This is free. I just threw it in today. I want to know what is the context of the repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. In other words, who did he say that to? I don't want you guys to tell me right now. I want you to look at that this week. And I want you to come back next week. And I want you to tell me who is it that, he, that says, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Who is he talking about with the repentance? Okay? And we'll pick that up next week. So i got to be going. Uh, wow, I'm, I am getting long-winded. i got to get quicker with my notes. But it's this. hopefully you're picking up some nuggets and some neat things around here. And so, uh, but we're going to see how that grave and that destruction is good for, for the nation of Israel, but it's also good for us, because I am glad that God has, is, is over death, he's over hell, he's over the grave. No matter what happens to me, what do we have? We have a home in heaven, because God has promised us that. So let's pray and we'll get dismissed. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that we find in your word, Lord. We thank you for uh, the promises that you gave to Israel, and we know that you're going to fulfill them, even though many of them are not yet fulfilled. And yet we know that since you fulfill every promise that you make, Lord, you will fulfill every promise that you have made to us. And that makes us uh, 
excited. It makes us glad, and it, and it helps us to put our faith in you, and we thank you for that. And we thank you that you love us, and you've given us a home in heaven, and you've, uh, you've given us the Holy Spirit, and Lord, you've given us a Bible, you've given us a church, and Lord, we just thank you for the things you've given to us, and we look forward to seeing you in the future. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. All right. I'm ready to go test